Welcome to this edition of Gabrielle Dolan's Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle as she speaks to well-known leaders on authentic leadership values and storytelling. The aim of this podcast is to encourage you to embrace authenticity in both the professional and personal context. The stories and experience of her guests will be a wonderful catalyst for others to learn from. So on today's podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Shelley Park, who is the CEO of the Australian Red Cross Blood Service. So welcome, Shelley. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here with you. Yeah. So tell us, um, this is around authentic leadership and uh, it's a term that's often thrown around. What does that term mean to you? I think the word authentic and authentic leadership is the real giveaway here. Um, I think we all think about what leadership means, but authenticity for me means that everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you breathe aligns with what you say. So your behaviours, your actions, everything is who you are. So for me, I show vulnerability because Mm -hmm. that's who I am. I don't hide that. I put that out there. And I think that gives people more insight into who I am as a person, but also who I am as a leader. I think it's a really difficult one because you have to go on a careful journey between confidence and humility when you're authentic. Um, And to me, I I tend to be more to the humility and have to bring myself back a little bit. But again, that's me being authentic because that's who I am as a person. Mm. So, So it's just letting your true self be known without it all being about I, I, I. It's actually about this is me and this embeds in my leadership and what I do with my organisation or with people that are around me and just show your true self with those amazing leadership behaviours. Yeah, it's funny. I think when you said it's the, the, the you know the toss between confidence and humility, but I find that you have to, you have to actually be extremely confident as a leader to show humility. You do. I think you have to be confident in your knowledge of self and I think that's a really important part of that. And we all have moments where others may see us confident and we might not be. And I can remember really early in my career where other people have shared that with me and it gave me insight to these people that I thought were the most amazing, confident people. They're not always confident. Underneath that may actually be them knowing how to portray confidence but not always feeling as confident as what we think people are. And, and sometimes that gives us permission to be ourselves as well. Mm, yeah, I do, I do a lot of work with senior leaders and that's often a case where they, you know, they, they see others showing vulnerability and, not, and going, oh, I might have thought they were so confident and, and thinking, you know, some people have this weird thing that being confident means you're, you never have any self-doubt or you're never yeah. unsure yeah. of yourself, which is very rarely the, tru- the truth. Do you, um, do you encourage your leaders and your leadership team to show humility and be more authentic leaders and call it out when it's not happening? Uh, I do. Um, So I'm in a really privileged place where I also coach people and mentor people. And one of the things I always unpick is around that humility, you know, being humble, the humility, actually letting people see who you are. I like to think I also role model that through showing my vulnerability. Um, A great example of that is at the moment um, I'm going through quite a difficult um, space with my dad who's at the end of of life and and really he's really vulnerable um, in himself. He can't remember who I am and that's really hard as a daughter. My organisation or the people in it understand where I am at the moment on my my path because some days I might just be a little bit more vulnerable than what I normally would but it's because of what's going on in my 
broader life. And I'm certainly not a leader that thinks that there's a difference between work, home, family. To me, they're all interconnected. And so I am confident and comfortable in sharing. And certainly the conversation doesn't all become around that. However, people know um, that at the moment I'm disappearing for the odd long weekend back to New Zealand to see my dad because of where he is, and that is part of my leadership. I have to take that time so I can keep being the leader that I am. Mm. Do you have have you always led in that way, or is it something you've sort of, I guess, grown into with maturity? I mean, we all our leadership changes as we grow. I, I think I've always led in that way. I've become a lot more comfortable and confident with that as I've matured. Mm. Um, so I'm more comfortable in my own space and I don't feel a need to explain why I do it. I'm just comfortable for that to be the authentic me. Yeah, it's one of the cool benefits of getting older, isn't it? Absolutely. There's quite a few of those <laughs> I've found, but that's definitely one of them. Exactly. Um, What's your background? Give us a little one, two-minute version. How did you end up at CEO of the Australian Red Cross Wide Service? Um, well, I actually left school without any qualifications um, and was working in a um, car yard. And um, at the time, and, and I certainly don't say that every car yard is like this, but what I identified was the, the behaviours that were being shown in that organisation didn't sit comfortable with me. And it worked... I worked through later in life that that was actually about a values misalignment. Mm. So the alignment of values was absolutely not there. So I had to think about what I might do. And um, a nurse walked past the um, car sales yard one day and I thought, oh, I could wear that uniform. And so I went home, had a chat to my parents. I was really close with my mum. And um, we had a chat and I didn't have the qualifications, but I was really lucky that somebody showed me the path of how I could do that. So um, I did enrolled nursing, then I um, went back to university and, and did my um, comprehensive training and have continued to do education, um, diplomas, degrees, masters um, to take myself through, went through the nursing hierarchy and then moved into general management, chief executive of hospital land and now three years into a role at the um, Red Cross Blood Service which is just the most amazing journey but the most amazing organisation to be part of. Mm. Are you the only nurse that entered the nursing industry to rock the uniform? <laughs> <laughs> I think I probably am, but don't share that with too many people. <laughs> uh, so you... My fashion tastes have changed, I will say that. <laughs> um, so you talk about values misalignment. Have there been times where you, you've felt your values really challenged or you've made a decision or behaviour that later you thought, why, why did I succumb to the pressure or whatever? Look, I think looking back and, and sharing the story of being in the car yard, I would probably leave that organisation earlier now. Um, and, and, and when I was young, I would smile at some things that when I was really uncomfortable. Now, I will actually talk them through, not be rude to people because that's not my values alignment, um, but I will actually say, look, I'm really com uncomfortable with that. Can we not have this conversation or can I just challenge you on that? Um, so I have got a lot more comfortable um, in calling it out and ensuring my own value safety as part of what I do. Yeah, excellent. Um, when you talked about being humility before and showing vulnerability, when when do you think you've been the most 
vulnerable? Is there a time where you really remember, wow, that I felt really vulnerable then? Um, Look, there's two, and I'll call one out. And this was when I got my first general manager role. And somebody wrote to me and um, basically called out that I had only got the job because apparently I slept my way to the top, which I didn't do. Um, But I was a woman in a world that didn't have a lot of women leaders in it, Mm. probably at that time. Um, But then what really shook me was this person kept writing to me, writing to me at both home and work, so they'd worked out where I was, but could tell me what I was doing on particular days and wanted me to know that they were watching me and what they were going to do to me, which was not pleasant. And so I felt incredibly vulnerable in everything that I did. I I was vulnerable in any space I was in because I didn't know who it was or who was watching me. And and this went on for a number of months. Now, the organisation that I worked for at the time was stunning and my immediate boss was stunning. Um, And we brought the police in and so took some control back. Even though I took that control back, I still felt really vulnerable. Mm. It was a horrible, horrible experience. Yeah, that sounds that sounds shocking. It just sounds it must have it must have really thrown you. Like just just even work really hard and and reach a position of authority, and then someone to throw that in your face. Yeah, it 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 off balanced me. I also knew I wasn't going to give into it. Yeah, and I was incredibly lucky and I've had a number of times in my life where I've seen the real value of having good support people around you and that was certainly one of them Um, it was it was a time that probably made me stronger as a leader and as as a person I wouldn't want anyone to have to go through that Mm. though Mm. how was it resolved did they find the person or did eventually you just eventually moved moved out Um, but but we're talking about a period of Probably about six to nine months. Yeah, really, really yeah. throw you, really throw you. Um, in your in your role as CEO, there's a bit of uh, talk and the rise of CEO activism. What what's your stand on that? Taking a role on social issues, um, which probably yeah. are your personal opinion as well, but in the role as CEO, I'm very very mindful of where I am CEO. So I am part of um, the Red Cross, and I have a real accountability and responsibility of of staying apolitical because we are an apolitical organisation. I certainly have views on things but I also respect others' views on things and so I tend to work out with my stakeholders, um, with my funders, with who I work for because we have government contracts and I choose where I may become a articulate on an issue. I certainly am not like some other leaders who I absolutely respect and are out there with a lot. I choose when I do and I and I think I always go through a very considered process in relation to that. Now, please don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not confident to speak out on issues. I'm just very, very, conf- um, very clear on my responsibility of, of keeping um, some opinions to myself. Mm. I, I actually think I'm a, a pretty a midline opinioned person. However, there's things that come into my role and there's things that don't. Um, my donors for the blood service are some of the most special, amazing, generous people 
and they come from all different backgrounds and, and, and I respect every background and every thought process. Um, I'm very clear on right and wrong and I'm very clear on black and white um, and it will be those sorts of issues that I will choose to have a, have a voice or an opinion on. Mm. I, I, I'm sure it certainly becomes harder to take a role as CEO when your organisation has to be apolitical and yeah, <laughs> it's just sometimes just too risky maybe. Absolutely, and, and we need to be very clear about what, what our role is in society and I think we do an amazing role in society and that, that's, to me, the difference that we make. Mm. You've done a, an excellent job in getting uh, gender diversity uh, with your senior leadership team. Was that... Has that always been the case or did you make some deliberate attempts to achieve that? I find gender diversity a really interesting thing because I, I grew up um, a family of three daughters and we were told that we could be and do whatever we liked. And, and so to me, my, my narrow world that I grew up in was a, more about equality than, than gender diversity. And, and I've had to learn some ways through that. I believe firmly that diversity across anything we do adds to the richness of who we are. And we're incredibly privileged here at the Blood Service and, and some of these have been um, appointed, but you know we, we do have that lovely balance from board level right through. So we're a pretty privileged organisation around that and I can just see the real value and breadth that that gives us as an organisation. So I'm certainly very mindful about it. I'm also a real believer in the best person for the role. We do actually consider diversity as part of it as well. Mm, excellent. Um, so moving, you know, tack a little bit now, what's the most embarrassing thing you think you've ever done in business? So this... Um, this question, when I'm asked, it always challenges me. And I think, really, the most... Well, you've, you've done so many, or you haven't done My answer to this is actually when I was um, Victorian Telstra Businesswoman of the Year. Well done. At, thank you. And I was embarrassed because of my own humility. Um, I probably now um, would be a little bit more comfortable, which is seven years on from when I first um, won, but I was embarrassed by the um, the acknowledgement of where I'd got to and and also the fact that it was me that got it and not somebody else. Mm. So, um, you know, I'm a real believer in imposter syndrome and some of those sorts of things. And that Are you a believer in it because you suffer from it? I used to suffer yeah. from it. Um, and I think as, as of... Um, gone on I, I felt really humbled winning it and I was almost in awe of winning it I also felt very embarrassed mm. and I think that probably prevented me from doing some things with it that I could have yeah there's some good insights there um what, what what do you think if you could change one thing about yourself what would it be that I could sing. You could sing. <laughs> <laughs> my, my voice, if anyone's ever heard me sing, um, which is usually only my dog and cat these days, but certainly my children could attest to it. I haven't got the best voice in the world and, and I'd love the confidence of having an amazing voice. You'd be out there on the singing circuit, isn't it? No, just, just, so that I didn't, just so that I didn't affront people that I sung around would be really nice. <laughs> you can do some professional development on that. <laughs> So when you're not being CEO, what, what are, what's some of the things that you love doing? Oh, spending time with family, um, spending time with my husband. That's yep. really, really important to me. Um, we have got furry children and we've got 
normal children. So we have a dog and a cat that are really, really important. Um, got four children who are, you know, an, an amazing piece of my life. Um, two of them are my own and two of them are my stepchildren and they're a, a, a wonderful blended family. Um, I love getting out running. I love walking. I love feeding my soul with the beauty of nature. And I adore time in my garden, especially in amongst my veggies. Mm. You, do your kids live at home or have they no, moved they, out? Yeah, so the, the empty nesters besides yeah. the fur babies. Yeah, the fur babies are still there and, and that's, that's the close-knit, under-one-roof household. Yeah. Um, the children do tend to come back when we go on family holidays. They love those. Um, so as long as mum and dad pay, that's the, that's one. the way to yeah. keep them going and, along. And our eldest two are in their thirty, about to turn thirty this year. So, you know, I, I sort of have visions that maybe when they're seventy, we'll still be doing family holidays as long as we keep helping them with, you know, the reason to come. And I'd say that with Jess, we have lovely family holidays. Yeah. Um, do they live? Do they live close? Do you get to see them often? Mm. Or? All four of them um, live around us, absolutely, and we do family dinners and we're always together at Christmas. And, and two of them have got partners now, um, and one of them has got a long-term... Two of them live with their partners, and one of them um, has been seeing her boyfriend now for well over a year, so so they're, they're pretty stable and steady. Excellent. What's... what's um, if there was one thing you either love or hate that perhaps a lot of people wouldn't know about you, what would it be? One thing I love or hate... Um, I hate dishonesty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that doesn't settle well with me. Um, I love being in my veggie garden and growing my vegetables and going around and picking out all my different vegetables into my cane basket and then working out what I'm going to cook with it for dinner. Um, That's impressive. Tomatoes and potatoes are probably amongst my more success factors. Um, some of my cauliflowers and carrots don't look like cauliflowers and carrots, but they still taste pretty good. <laughs> there is, um, I, I, have, I have a big veggie garden up at our property too, and there's um, there's something really rewarding about like literally digging up your own potatoes and, and grabbing stuff and then cooking dinner going, this is almost everything from the garden, Absolutely. which is, uh, and my husband fishes. So sometimes when oh. it was like you got fish that's been caught a couple of hours ago, and veggies from the garden. So are you a good cook? Do you like cooking as well? I love cooking when I've got time to cook. Okay. So during the week it tends to be more simple food um, and in the weekends there is nothing more delightful than um, getting to our weekend property and settling in for the weekend and being in the veggie garden and cooking up a feast. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Watch, have you got a signature dish that, uh, you know, maybe oh. the kids go, Mom, can you cook that? Or, um, or just one you do like a pretty cooking? mean lamb shank. Yeah. Um, not that I eat meat, but I do that for the kids. <laughs> well, that <laughs> is a true act of love. <laughs> and um, at the moment, one of my specialties that I'm loving is the vegetable fritters, depending on what, what's there. And um, Otto Lingi is a bit of an inspiration for me, picking up some of those and blending them a little bit differently. And, um, enjoying that so yeah 10 points to him for his inspiration yeah well Well, it sounds like you're a bit of an experiment chef which is always good um probably just back to to work a little bit is there someone that you really admire that you either take leadership lessons from or you just admire them for what they've done 
Um, I'm in a really privileged place at the moment that um, at the Red Cross Blood Service, there's two chief executives. I, I run the Blood Service and my colleague Judy runs the humanitarian arm. And Judy is somebody I learn from each and every day. And there's very few times in your career where you have um, somebody in a chief executive role that is working alongside you where you can challenge and listen to each other but also watch somebody else act and be. For example, we're both in the boardroom with the Red Cross um, and it, for me that's a real gift um, in life that I didn't think I'd get. You to have someone there to, like, as your sounding board and to Absolutely. support you. But also to see how they do and be and, and we pick up hints from each other. Um, so that, and, and there's no competition there, we just accept each other for who we are and I think that's a that's an amazing position to be in. I also um, do a lot of reading and, and looking and, and I do really like um, or align with some of what Jack Welsh, who's been around for mm. quite some time, but I often um, talk to people around, you know, I put other people who are better than me around me. And to me, that makes a stunning leadership team, but also the success of the organisation mm. or whatever you're doing. And Jack Welsh um, once said, I was never the smartest guy in the room. Um, from the first person I hired, I was never the smartest, and, and that's a big deal. And if you're going to be a leader, if you're a leader, you need to know that you're not the smartest guy in the world or in the room. And if you do, you've got real problems. And I might have got some of those words slightly wrong, but that really aligns with me. Um, I, as a leader, have skills. I don't have all of the answers. And it's the uniqueness of that blend of different people. Um, so I get inspired by people such as him that actually show humility, humility in their leadership. Mm. I think I think that's one of the real changes I'm seeing in leadership and, and the leaders that are excelling are stepping into that better. And I think it's, you know, with all the changes that's going on with technology and so it's, it's almost just impossible to be the smartest <laughs> room in the house because almost all your experience that you had is not saying it's no longer valid, but, you know, things are moving so quickly. And I think the, the leaders that are really going to be the leaders of the future who are the ones that can openly and honestly go I do not know this and lead and delegate and role model and all those behaviours but yeah I, I was um, in Europe last year for work and um, came across a person that was teaching us about um, workforces of the future and one of the um, pieces of gold he gave us I asked him if he was a chief executive what advice would he give to himself and he said, you know, I'd actually have a mentor that was at least 30 years younger than me. Wow. And I think that's quite inspirational because actually they're the ones that know how to how the future world's going to be and, and I think we can learn so much from them. Yeah, like a, you get almost like a reverse mentoring situation Correct. where you can yeah. both learn off each other. Um, do you have a bit of a favourite quote? Do you, um, do you probably the Jack Welsh one yeah. would be one of them. Um I, I do like some of Mandela's quotes, um, and, and look, Mandela's a really um, interesting leader, you know, the, the challenges and the different paths that, that he took, so I, I don't necessarily align with every part. Um, I really do like um, some of his quotes. I um, will often just get onto the internet and just go, you know, quote quotes of the day and, and pick different ones up, you know, culture each strategy for breakfast, um, it's one that stayed with me through my whole career, and I still use today. 
Um, so, so yeah, I, I have a bit of a basket of quotes, but they would probably be my two favourite at the moment. I've heard someone, I've said that someone because I believe in that quote too, and they said, yeah, but strategy, but breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe. 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 maybe However. However. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you know, I'm, a, I'm on a bit of a mission to end corporate jargon or mm-hmm. to actually reduce it. Is there a piece of corporate jargon you absolutely hate that you just oh, refuse? Where do or I do start? you where do you... <laughs> So the blood service probably has a dictionary of um, corporate jargon and, and jargon um, abbreviations. Um, and, and I really worry because it becomes such a, a specialised language and others don't actually, it's not inclusive, others don't no. understand. Um, so we go in and out of, you know, the senior leadership team last year committed to um, reducing our amount of jargon. Um, I'm not sure that we've been successful, but it's a mission that we'll keep working on. Mm. Um, yeah, I think we have to be inclusive in the way that we talk and, and jargon. You know, we just interpret jargon and abbreviations. And acronyms. And they, acronyms do, do they have completely different meanings. Absolutely. So so I don't have a specific one because I actually think we should get rid of all of them. Yeah, so you, you're actually quite active in, in leading the charge in your organisation to try to reduce them. Yes, what I've got to do better is stay persistent on that we talk about it and then we slip back and then we talk about it again it needs to become part of our culture yeah. so we, we haven't won that one yet it's, it's a good insight because it is it's 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 the way we've been told to communicate all our careers so um, you've almost got to undo 20 30 40 years of, of, of people being told this is the way to do so it takes a while but we'll get there we will we'll get, get there absolutely we will. we'll get there so I'm going to end on a few little personal questions um, what's your favorite 80s artist and song um, I would probably say Queen another one bites the dust have you seen Bohemian Rhapsody oh, I loved it <laughs> However, if I'm going to do the real sentimental, every so often I get down a sentimental journey, mm. and if I'm on a sentimental journey, it would be Endless Love by Lionel Richie. Endless Love by Lionel Richie? I remember Fully. listening to it in the 80s when I was young and single and probably looking for love. Um, so. I think my favourite Lionel Richie song was Dancing on the Ceiling. So that's <laughs> You and I. Maybe I'm not the sentimental yeah. type. Absolutely. I, I, I don't go back to that. But Queen is a, a real soul food for me. Yeah. I, I'm actually loving the fact, I, I love Queen as well, I'm loving the fact that the movie's out, that on the radio oh, they're constantly absolutely. playing Queen stuff, which is pretty cool. And it's in, it goes across generations. Yeah. So nicely. Yeah, absolutely. What's what's next for Shelley Park, do you think? What's yeah. next? Um, days that continue to be filled with happiness. Um, days um, spent make, continuing to make a difference. Um, I think I'm probably one of the most privileged chief executives in the world. Um, we connect people who donate of themselves to people they will never meet and we sort of connect and keep things safe in between so that we can then connect that in to a patient or a donor or, or whoever that is. Um, so I think it will be a lot more of the same. I love where my life is. Mm. Um, I surround myself with lots of positive, amazing, special people. Um, so yeah, it will be um, to, to keep myself in this space and 
to be fit and fast until I'm in my 90s. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Still gardening. I think it is a privilege. You know, a lot of the time, um, you know, we can talk, you, your job is literally running a company that is saving lives, that is mm. literally saving lives. And, and often we get, you know, people are so busy in business and so wound up in their importance. And often you sort of go, just relax, like no one's dying. But in your situation, like, you know, oh, we, you, can't we can't relax. Absolutely. People are dying and you need to save lives. Absolutely. Final question for me. If you could give yourself one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would that be? Go forward with courage, believe in yourself, and have the belief and confidence to know that what you think inside is usually right. And that when you think at a young age that it's gut, it's actually not, it's experience, and it's all those experiences coming together, um, and, and trust them and believe in them and stay true to your values. That's lovely. Can I ask you another question? Do you think it, <laughs> you said that was oh, no, last. No, 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 but I just said you were saying that, and I thought, oh, that's so good. Is, um, do you think you've... Your kids are really proud. Do they often? I mean, not that they would sort of yeah. kids probably say that, but do you think they're proud of mum doing what she's yeah. doing? Look, my kids see me as mum, and that's who they should see me as. Um, it was lovely um, when I had my fiftieth birthday a couple of years ago, hearing my children speak. Um, I just had tears rolling down my face. Um, so I know from those moments they are proud. They also keep me true to myself, um, and they remind me why I'm here. Excellent. Shelley, thank you so much for being part of this podcast series. Keep doing what you're doing, making the difference and saving lives, literally. Thank you. It's an honour and a privilege. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast in the Authentic Leadership Series. Visit the resource library on Gabrielle's website to access a collection of free material on business storytelling and thought leadership.